This is episode 22, titled Psychology to Eastern Medicine with Michaela Cameron, subtitled Acupuncture Saved My Life. This is John Beethan, the producer of the show, and I had a few comments before we get into the talk with Lisa and Michaela. One thing that became obvious to me this morning, this is the 22nd show we've done, and in most every single case, all 22 shows really have healthcare practitioners that walk the talk, and in most cases, these people have had their own health issues and turned to some sort of alternative healing to heal themselves and got them into a career as a healthcare practitioner doing the same for others. Every single show we do have some gems in them. Take time to heal, or the healing will take time. Now for the show. Welcome back. This is Lisa Thorpe, and this is Health and Wellness Encinitas. And in case you're trying to find us, you can always search Encinitas in your podcast app. Today, we have Michaela Cameron with Gentle AccuWellness. Michaela, thank you so much for coming over from Poway to join us today. Uh, It's an honor to have you. Welcome, and uh, why don't you go ahead and share about what you do. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a licensed acupuncturist, herbalist, occupational therapist, and I provide personalized one-to-one Chinese medical evaluation and treatment of people with a multitude of um, issues that they're concerned about. I focus on internal medicine, musculoskeletal situations, emotional situations, um, people who have unexplained edema, swelling in different parts of their body, but all of their medical labs are coming out normal. So I really work on things that um, Western medical-wise things are great. Um, The person's labs are perfect, and yet they don't feel well. And so my job is to figure out what the root of the issue is, why the person doesn't feel well, through a very in-depth evaluation and questioning, looking at the tongue, feeling the abdomen, feeling the pulses. You get a big picture, and you make an educated hypothesis about what's going on to help people feel better. And that's all part of an acupuncturist uh, discipline, is that correct? Correct. But you also have uh, two other degrees. Your your mm-hmm. other degrees are, I believe, psychology and yes. occupational therapy. Yes. So how, how did you come along this path and decide to go into acupuncture? As a child, I always wanted to help people. That was my mission. I wanted to work in prevention. And I wanted to work in something that was deeply meaningful and that would impact people very positively and in a gentle way. And psychology was my first path because I thought, well, if you can figure out what's going on in a person's emotional mind and in their uh, interpersonal relations and and help them to heal that and to have um, stronger relationships, that that would help a person in a, in a very profound way and and help them be happy and listen to things that maybe other people couldn't listen to listen to the hard things and help people through that and help people through the hard issues 
And I did that at uh, Kennedy Krieger Institute, uh, Johns Hopkins, in the inner city of Baltimore for four years. And it was really hard, very rewarding work helping with people. We worked with the worst cases. People would pull off their skin. They would pull toilets out of walls. Uh, they would destroy property. And our mission was to help people learn how to get their needs met and to express their feelings in ways that were nonviolent and that were positive to get what they needed. And we did that in a non-aversive, a nonviolent um, frame of reference. And I love that. Um, I needed to be a part of something that helped to um, address very difficult issues in a very positive way. And we had a very high success rate. 100% of the people we worked with got better. What do you think was the, the magic? It was the one-on-one. We did a lot of in-depth questioning. We looked at the behavior. We looked at everything that went before the behavior. We looked at everything that came after the behavior. And we figured out with the people who knew the person the best, with the person and with our education, trying to figure out what the motivation for that behavior was. And a lot of times it was just plain attention. They just needed Just needed to be seen and heard. Sometimes it was boredom. Sometimes it was communication, not being able to fully communicate what they wanted to get what they wanted. So you were like a, a sleuth, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having to investigate what what was really. And it sounds like that's carried over because again, you're you're investigating mm-hmm. what what is at the root cause. So how from uh, psychology then did you go into occupational therapy? Well, when I was working in psychology, um, I saw the occupational therapist working. And it looked like they were playing, and their patients were laughing, <laughs> nice. and they were having a lot of fun. It was very lighthearted. I thought, wow, to profoundly help someone in a very lighthearted, fun way, that sounds, that sounds fabulous. That sounds like a good marriage and medicine, because uh, occupational therapists are psychology majors. And I had an occupational therapist working with me, helping a child who had feeding issues, and I was amazed by her breadth of knowledge. And we had some kids who would pull off their skin, scratch their skin off, and I thought, I wonder if it's a sensory experience. I wonder if they're getting endorphins from scratching their skin or or if the environment is so irritating that they're doing it as a stress relief. And the psychologist, the top psychologist, thought I was crazy, and she laughed at, at me. But in OT school, I learned there is a frame of reference for that, sensory integration um, a lot of people have sensory integration issues at different levels, and I learned how to treat sensory integration issues through occupational therapy. And how long were you in occupational therapy? Um, I went through another four-year program for occupational therapy, and I've um, been doing it for 18 years. I'm still an occupational therapist. You don't look old enough to have all these degrees. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you must be doing something right. <laughs> Clean living. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Genetics. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Nature and nurture. Yeah. Awesome. So do you feel that also there might have been, now with your acupuncture, acupuncture background, do you look back on some of those cases and see where maybe there might have been nutritional? Or in addition, what, what do you think some of those cases might have been? Oh, it all goes together. 
I worked um, with severely mentally ill people in one of my rotations for acupuncture school. And in three months, everyone was acting, quote-unquote, normal. Everyone was feeling much better. And what we found with those people who um, we were helping, there was a lot of heat that was stored in the body that wasn't getting out. Um, A lot of us have less than optimal health, and when our health is less than optimal, it's difficult to release the heat from the body, and it can, we call it harassing the heart, fog the mind. And if you help the body release that heat, people can feel so much better. And another issue we found was blood stagnation. The blood wasn't moving well enough in the person's body. If you lift up your tongue, and if you see dark purple veins underneath uh, your tongue, that's one indication that the blood in your body is stagnating, and it's important to get that moving for your health. So I think it's a myriad of um, issues for people, and I think if we can put all the disciplines together, uh, I think people can expect more profound results and not be stigmatized. Uh, Because a lot of times behavior is physiological. Sure, Mm -hmm. sure. So now bring us from psychology, occupational therapy, how did you uh, choose acupuncture? Well, in OT school, through all of my school, I, I worked myself through, I worked full time through all of my degrees and put myself through school. And um, I got mono in OT school. And I became very ill. And the doctors told me to quit the program or I'd end up in the hospital. And I, I didn't quit the program. I just studied with the book on my chest. And I asked my teacher if I could put my head down during class and just look at my book with my head on my desk, and and she agreed. And in one of my medical appointments, I had another issue. My lungs weren't quite clearing up after a cold, and I told my doctor, and he said, sorry, make another appointment for another five minutes, another copay. And I was so disappointed. I was so frustrated uh, because money was tight, time was tight, And the last thing I could do is make another appointment. And I spoke to a psychology mentor of mine, and she said, have you ever heard of Chinese medicine? I think they might take time with patients and really look at the deep underpinnings of what's going on. You might want to look into that. And so I rented uh, a PBS special from the library and listened to an audio tape of Chinese medicine, and I fell in love. I was enamored with how the physicians spent a whole hour with their patients and really got to know them and to hear all the different things that people were living with that acupuncture helped. I wanted to be a part of that. I thought, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? I realized that doctors are under a lot of stress, and I have friends who are doctors and nurses who are really frustrated. They only get five minutes with the patient, and it's really stressful to work under those conditions. And have limited tools. They do have limited tools, and um, I thought I would like to be a part of that where I have the luxury to spend a whole hour with the patient one-on-one and really get to know them see them across their lifetime, and really be able to figure out what's going on underneath everything. And amazingly, you have this background of being able to look at them for them psychologically and then occupationally. So it's a pretty, I think people are very fortunate to come and do an evaluation with you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It feels like I've been building up my whole life tools so that in midlife I can help people. 
Do you think that the history of acupuncture is communicated in society today? Do you think most people understand it? I don't think they understand it fully. Um, as enamored I was by the PBS special, I didn't fully understand it. I would look and try to understand it, and I had a very limited knowledge of Chinese medicine and all it had to offer. I just kept hearing about the gate pain theory and how it was great for pain and musculoskeletal, um, but I really didn't understand just how deep a medicine it was. It's an ancient medicine, It's ancient. It's right? 5,000 years old. And are there different uh, categories within Chinese medicine? Obviously, there's acupuncture, and then there are the different modalities within it. Can you, maybe you can help all of us to understand a little bit more about Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Yeah, um, Chinese medicine encompasses acupuncture, herbology, moxibustion, cupping, twina, nutrition therapy, um, exercise, body mechanics. That's all in our scope of, of, of practice in school. We learn all the physical therapy tests for musculoskeletal which I didn't learn all of the physical therapy tests in OT school, so it made me a better OT off bat. We learned about nutrition. We have pharm- pharmacological, pharmaceutical uh, classes. Uh, we have Western doctors come in and teach us how to do uh, history and physical. Um, we learn how to listen to the heart, look into the ears, and then we learn about how the energy of herbs help people heal all their different temperatures and all the different channels they flow in and all the different contraindications. And we learned about all the acupuncture points. There's over 360 of them. We have to know everyone intimately. (laughs) We don't know what they're going to ask on the boards, and the boards are very tough. But a person who goes to a Chinese medicine physician, practitioner, can expect a lot of tools that they can be helped with. They can receive acupuncture, and there's different styles. I do a very gentle style where I barely put it under the skin, and there is research to support that. If you just touch the acupuncture point with the needle, even barely, I can even put it on top of the skin and get results. If people are needle-phobic, I didn't care for needles, and I thought it was weird the first time I got acupuncture, seeing all these needles stick out of me. And was that for the uh, mono? Oh, it was after the mono. I got um, this chronic fatigue, I thought, but I wasn't going to put that label on myself. And I I went to acupuncture to help my energy, and it it helped me. And I also went for a condition where um, I'd been struggling with it since my 20s, so it was... 15 years, I'd had the condition. Doctors told me I needed surgery. There was no cure. I had to keep getting multiple surgeries, and I wasn't going to put myself through that. I went to Chinese medicine when I was in school, and I had weekly acupuncture for six months and took herbs every day for six months, and I was cured. I got hate letters from my doctor saying, you're going to die. You have to <laughs> go our route, but I was cured through uh, Eastern medicine, without surgery, just with herbs and acupuncture. It's amazing that the doctors uh, would would send you angry letters. It's unfortunate. I think it's maybe just to cover yeah. yourself. It was a one yeah. 
Well, and they do. I mean, I, I've said this before. It, it's, uh, I think we can never blame the doctors because they're liable. They are. They're liable. So they have to adhere to the letter of, of their training, uh, which is relatively limited. Um, not to say that it doesn't have vast capabilities in and of itself, but it is limited. And uh, if they don't adhere to that or if they recommend or allow something outside of that, they're liable if yeah. something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah I really so, respect Western yeah. medicine and what it has to offer, and I enjoy being the medicine that can fill in the cracks. Right. And that can address things that don't seem to be a problem, but they are a problem. And then people have a better quality of life. And you work, you collaborate with uh, Western medicine now. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm always looking for open-minded doctors who want to collaborate. I've given an, a lot of research articles uh, to older doctors who think it's kind of cute and interesting <laughs> that I'm doing this <laughs> cute little medicine, <laughs> but not really taken seriously all the time. So, And I'm sure there are uh, older doctors who are open-minded that I haven't met. Yeah, but I'm always open to that. And there is a lot of research. I noticed on your website you've got a number of links. What can you make reference to some of the research that you that you use? There's uh, research from Helene Longevin from uh, 2001, and uh, she looked at what happens when you put a needle into a person's body. And when you twist the needle, and uh, what she found was there's, we know there's connective tissue right under the fascia. Uh, and she found that the connective tissue winds around the needle and it sends uh, physiological messages to other parts of the body. And um, there's been studies that have shown, well, you can see the acupuncture points on um, MRI. And the acupuncture points have an electrical potential. potential, And you can measure those different electrical potentials. And um, when you put a point, a needle, into a point and twist it, we're not quite sure how the body gets the physiological messages, but it does, and it, and it listens, and the body heals itself. The body does. That. This, I, I really believe that this is the best kept secret that everybody really needs to know about the body and about wellness. And, and it is that exactly what you just said, that the body heals itself. Mm -hmm. It does. Every night we go to sleep, the body's mm -hmm. regenerating itself and the body is healing itself. And if it's given correct support, it will autocorrect mm -hmm. and everything is energy. That's my other, you know, like, like you're talking about it. It is energy Mm -hmm. Those points, those channels, those meridians, they do exist. And on an even more um, focused level, everything is energy, and it's mostly just positive and negative uh, charges, right, with tons of space in between. Mm -hmm. And it's totally changing all the time. So, I, you know, it's mm -hmm. one of the things I always say is it's like whatever is going on, for sure it's going to change. Mm -hmm. And how you support the body is what determines if it's going to change for the better or change for the worse. Mm -hmm. So so I love it talking about um, acupuncture and things that, that bring to light and support the fact that everything is energy and this is how the body actually does heal itself. Yeah, it's about supporting, listening to the body and taking it uh, seriously. And we know that acupuncture channels parallel the circulatory system, the lymphatic system, 
And so when you put a needle in, it sends messages to all your different systems, whatever is needed. Um, but you're making very scientific. It's an art. You use your intuition. You use all your book knowledge, and you use what you feel when you're working with a person, and you see them get better. So then you know you're doing the right thing. Do you get trained in the use of intuition in acupuncture school? We take qigong classes, and um, so that we learn how to uh, tai chi qigong. We learn how to generate energy and and feel energy, and we be more sensitive to energy. And we're trained in how to ground ourselves and to be fully present for each person when they're before us so that we can really listen and we can really feel what's going on. And some people can feel a thing, and some people naturally, you know, feel energy and feel things. And they said, that's okay, just just keep on the path and your intuition will deepen and you'll be able to feel and be aware of more and more things. And my intuition and, and my sensitivity to energy just keeps blossoming year after year. More things open up, and just tools to help people. And then you're just thankful for that blessing. And do you feel like that that's in the moment that you're working with somebody, an idea or a thought or a word or a direction comes to you? It's in the moment. Yeah. Always. Sometimes I hear points in my head and I double check myself because... Like spleen six or... Yeah. yeah. I hear yeah. I hear a point prescription in my head for that person. It just comes to you. It just comes to me. And then I double check myself because I'm a perfectionist and I like to make sure I'm doing the right thing scientifically as well. But my intuition, it's right. I do study for each patient too. On the weekend, I'll study and make sure I'm doing the best thing for that person. Just reevaluating what I'm doing. And so when somebody comes, driving. excuse me, when somebody comes to you, they go through a, a pretty comprehensive evaluation. It sounds like as you said, it's about an hour. What is the average program? Or you know, I know you'd mentioned like you when you first experienced acupuncture, you did six months of herbs and needling. Is that about what people can expect or what 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 can people expect no, to go through? everyone's so different it's difficult to put an expectation if someone's really weak if they have something that they've been struggling with for a while uh, some people say it's one month for each year mm-hmm. what i notice is i don't know my intention for my patients is always for them to find the maximal results in the least amount of time. And that's what my mentors trained us in school, too. They said, you know, you want to get the best results in the least amount of time. You don't want people to be dependent on you. Just just get them feeling good and get them out the door, and and you'll be be provided for. You're doing the right thing. Um, So that's always my intention. So in occupational therapy and in acupuncture, I'm always amazed at the rapidity of the healing process. The body, human body, always surprises me in a good way. It wants to heal. It wants to heal. Yeah. You just need to support it and love it and listen to it. That's great. You know, I I always ask guests for their number one wellness tip. That sounds like it might have been yours, (laughs) but I'm going to go ahead and ask it now to see if it's something different. If you were to give people one thing for them to take away that's like your number one health tip, uh, what would it be? The most valuable tip that I can give to people is go to bed before 11 o'clock at night. Oh, good one. (laughs) (laughs) That gets back to when does the body 
heal itself, right? At night. At night. And 11 o'clock is gallbladder time. Gallbladder. The gallbladder is the decision maker in our body. Psychologically and physiologically, the organs listen to the gallbladder and depend on the gallbladder. So if we can rest and let the blood just relax and let the body heal itself, when if we're in sleeping asleep by 11, so go to bed a little bit before 11. Yeah, so that so you're in bed by sleeping. 10, so you're asleep by 11. Uh-huh, and then you'll feel so much better. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it is all the difference. It's amazing. Yeah, a lot of times people think they have chronic fatigue and they just need to go to bed before 11. I have a friend who was in her 50s. She would dance till 5 o'clock in the morning, ballroom dancing. And she said, Michaela, I think I have chronic fatigue. And I said, when are you going to bed? <laughs> 5 in the morning. But I sleep 8 hours. I said, that doesn't matter. Try. Just try. Think about going to bed before 11 and see what happens. She did it. And she said, oh, my goodness, I don't have chronic fatigue. I just had the wrong bedtime. <laughs> well, she was chronically fatigued <laughs> she because was. she was staying up late. Dancing through the night. <laughs> good for her. <laughs> it's a good problem to have, I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, so you spoke about your own experience of mono and how it led you down this path. I'm curious, and this is another thing I always ask everybody, or is there something else that you feel was a pivotal, p- pivotal, pivotal <laughs> moment in your life? There's been so many pivotal moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've learned that near-death experiences really open your intuition. I've always been a very intuitive person, and I've had quite a few near-death experiences. Quite a few. I was thinking you were going to say one. How many near-death experiences? Oh, I haven't counted them. But okay, I, you're freaking yeah. me out a little bit. <laughs> no, you've got it. Now you've got it. I think there's someone watching out over me. Oh, I Obviously. Always, I always have known that there's uh, um, someone looking out for me, and I was supposed to do something, grow spiritually and do something big um, in this lifetime because I've been kept alive. Uh, when I was 21, I was about to, let's see, 21, yeah, 22. I was about to graduate from um, school. I had my senior thesis in my car. I was driving in the Pennsylvanian mountains at 55, and the axle broke on my car. And the car started gyrating, and I thought I blew a tire. And I could tell the the car was going to turn over. And I said, God, please save me. And the car turned over, and it spun around and around and around. It was compacted to three foot high. I looked at the pictures. There was no room for a person. The body was all folded around the seat. Thank God the seat was higher than my head. Wow. The tall seat. Oh, my God. And God, divine intervention uh, saved me because uh, a military service man uh, came to my rescue and opened up the car door, and I was pinned by my hair. It got me unpinned, got me out, looked at my eyes, took my vitals. And I was fine. Wow. And the sheriff said, I thought no one was going to walk out of that car. I knew for sure you were dead. And he said, there's really, I've never seen anyone walk out of something like that. And I didn't go to the hospital. I had a mild concussion. I tried to do some math figures, and I looked at them the next week, and they were all wrong. (laughs) So I had a mild concussion, but no loss of consciousness. And... um, and that's the first one. That was, well, no. <laughs> that's nope. just kind of in the middle. That's in the middle. Uh, but actually, 
acupuncture actually saved my life. There's something called an energy block that I wouldn't have believed. I grew up in a medical family. I read medical books for fun. Um, my mom was a nurse, and I was just I always loved to study. Um, but I liked proof for everything, and I kind of poo-pooed my intuition. But this path helped me to really embrace my intuition and and the value. Um, but when I I was in just school for my first year of acupuncture school, I was getting ready for work, and I looked in the mirror and I said, "I'm dying." There's no reason why you should hear that voice in your head that says, "I'm dying." And I was I had no color in my face, and I just felt so weak. And I checked my pulses, and my pulses were stronger on the right than on the left, which is odd. They're supposed to be stronger on the left than on the right, because the organs that are represented on the wrist and the left feed to the organs to the right. And I just happened to hear a conversation at school of people talking about Brian Bender, an acupuncturist who treats energy blocks. And I thought, I wonder if I have an energy block. It just came to my head. And he happened to be presenting at a time I could go. I was working full-time, and usually I couldn't go to talks. But I went to his talk, and he had a woman in her mid-50s who had worked the night shift her whole adult life. And working the night shift will mess up your energy mm-hmm. over time. And some people will get this block. It's the... It's the... Uh, husband-wife block, and it kills people if your pulses are stronger on the right than on the left. And he did a diagnosis, or he did an evaluation in front of us so we could see how it was done. And she left the room, and he said, she's going to die if she doesn't get this block removed. And she came in, he removed the block, she felt great. And so I went into his office, and I said, I think I have the husband-wife block. I think I'm dying. Okay. We, wh- why is the husband-wife block killing people? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but... but <laughs> I know. I'm married. I know it's hard. <laughs> but I hope it's not killing me. <laughs> and I was single at the time. There's no excuse. <laughs> I'm still single, but I had no excuse. But... Uh, there are energy blocks, they're real, and acupuncture can heal it. So my acupuncture saved my life. And after that treatment, I felt such joy and love fill my heart that I'd never felt before. And, and what do you think caused the block? I asked him, what causes the block? And, right. And he said, sometimes if people have had some jolts in life that are pretty significant. or Trauma. Um, yeah. Or if they work the night shift all their life, which I never did. Uh, it can really mess up the body's energy. And is it called the husband-wife block because we're talking about a bilateral balance? Is it preventing, like you said, the, the two sides from balancing? Or I'm really not sure. It sounds like it's called it. Husband-wife. If you're it talking does... about your pulse being stronger on one side than the other, it sounds like the husband-wife needs to be in balance, <laughs> right? It does sound like it. He's he practices a form of acupuncture. Um, I took a semester with, but I really have to go through the whole um, training. It's, I think it's two more years of full-time training. Wow. It's a whole other system that I haven't studied that's his specialty. So I'm really thankful that he chose that specialty, and I'm thankful that I met him so that I can help people. And now you brought up uh, lymphatic, uh, the importance, and this is another thing that I 
love talking about because I think so few people know, let alone understand about the lymphatic system or how important it is. And I had a guest on recently that we talked about how sitting is the new smoking. Yes, just we're <laughs> going to listen to that podcast. It's good. <laughs> and and so I lo- I'm so grateful that you brought up the lymphatic system because again, it's an opportunity for for me to help educate people something that I think is so important and it's our lymph our lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. If we don't help move that, stagnation happens. Mm-hmm. And that's it, kiddo. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you can maybe you can more intelligently say why that is. Yeah, on the Uplodger Institute I learned the lymphatic drainage uh, massage technique. And um he said to call it the lymphatic drainage uh he didn't want us to call it massage because then people would expect a massage because what it is is just a um gentle skin stretch. So it uh he told us to call it uh Lymphatic drainage. Yeah, just lymphatic drainage. And what the lymphatic system is so important, and it's all over our body, and the nodes are all over our body. The big three places where the no- a lot of the nodes congregate are at the collarbones, uh, in the armpits, and at the inguinal crease, the groin crease. Where, right. Um, when you and that's why leg. the sitting is so bad. Because here, it, when we sit, it, that is at a right angle, cutting off the flow of the lymph and the energy in the groin, right? Well, there's a lot of major lymph nodes there, and they taught us to stimulate the nodes first before we do the the lymphatic drainage. Yeah, that's what he told us to call it. Drainage. <laughs> drainage. Oh, I like it. Not drainage. <laughs> drainage. Let's get a little French on it. <laughs> right, exactly. Drainage. Okay. <laughs> so you stimulate the lymph nodes at the clavicles, the collarbones, and the axillary, the armpits, and the inguinal crease where your underwear meets your leg. Um, and then you do a gentle skin stretch to um, help the lymph find its way to the big congregations of lymph nodes. There's no mechanical way inside our body for the lymph to drain except for a gentle skin stretch. And it's less than a nickel's weight of pressure, so it's very, very minimal pressure. And we spent the first day just trying to get the pressure right. I'm going to call it lymphatic massage for a minute. (laughs) I love lymphatic massage, (laughs) and I didn't know it was actually lymph drainage <laughs> but it is if, if people have never experienced it i think often because most people go for massage and they're like oh i want deep tissue because they mm-hmm. want like they want to feel like they're getting their money's worth or something yes. yeah. <laughs> when really if you've ever experienced this very light pressure that you're talking about it uh about along the the lymphatic system it's so gentle and powerfully energetically shifting it is. I, I think. It's amazing. Everyone in class, um, half of us got a better night's sleep and were more soothed, and half yeah. of us felt more energized and didn't yeah. want to go to sleep. Yeah. So it's amazing what happens. And I was drawn to the Upledgers program because uh, it was scientific, and I wanted to present something scientific to my patients, but I also learned it was very intuitive. On the first day of class, he had us feel a person's foot and draw a diagram of where the lymph was flowing. And I drew all these arrows around the foot that I thought I felt, and I I looked at my teacher and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
And she said, you know exactly what you're doing. You got the, the flow correct. And you haven't even taken the course. You're meant to be here. That's awesome. And so you can feel. You can feel the lymphatic flow when you put your hands on a person's body. And if it's not flowing in the correct way, what you do is you help it flow the wrong way. Like, like you're, it's like you're, a backflow device in. for my yeah. plum- plumbing fans <laughs> out there. It's a backflow device. Yeah. The lymph is the, is the sludge. It's the right way. We don't really we think, oh, my lymph are swollen, I have a cold. We, but we don't realize, no, the lymph is the waste elimination system. This is it all carries, draining into the intestine, right? Into the large intestine. It carries a lot of... Uh, all the debris. What we don't need, a lot all of the, the debris. debris. And uh, for people with weak kidneys or kidneys failure, they, they get a lot of uh, swelling. And doctors have uh, referred people to me who are too weak for Lasix. It would destroy their kidneys. And it really helps the swelling go down. And they're so grateful for this technique to help people who can't take the pharmaceuticals because it would destroy their kidneys. And imagine even the healthy people might not not need the Lasix. Did I say that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wait, so the healthy people could get the lymph drainage and avoid the Lasix. Yeah. What a thought. Help the kidneys Mm -hmm. and the liver and the the pancreas help it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What we found in class two was everyone had some misdirection of lymphatic flow. I had an old um, surgical scar where a cyst was taken out and the lymph flow was incorrect. And people, we all looked healthy, but everyone had some area of imbalance. Blockage. Yeah, some yeah. blockage. So by the end well, we of the class... we wear bras and tight pants exactly. and belts and... And they brought that up. Mm-hmm. They're like, when you Synthetics get that, home from work, mm-hmm. take those stuff off. Or if you we should all be wearing wear mumos, exactly. shouldn't we? <laughs> It does hurt the lymphatic system. It does, I know. Yeah. How about the, the cupping and the moxibustion? I don't know much about that. Um, the moxibustion, there's research on the kind I like to do is called Tonetsku. It's when you roll um, ultra-pure moxa. It's mugwort, Artemisia moss, into a size of a rice grain, and you put some burn cream on top of the on top of the acupuncture point that you want to put the the tonetsu, and you set it on fire with some incense. And before it reaches the the bottom of the cone of moxa, before right before it hurts hits the skin, you extinguish it. And what it does is it stimulates acupuncture points. It helps warm a person's body who's cold. It adds yang energy into a person's body. We need both yin and yang. We need both um, coolness and warmth, both um, calmness and energy in our body for a healthy body. Um, It also has been shown to um, change tissue, tissue configuration. So people with low back pain or people with um, pain in their knees I'll burn some moxa in those areas, and it actually changes the tissue configuration if you do at least ten cones of moxibustion. It, it's very, it's very um, wizardly, strange. It seems how wizardly. in God's name did they figure this out? What? Who? How? Why? I don't. I mean, you know, I've I've had it done because I I it's try everything. Uh-huh. I try everything. I want to know. You know. Yeah. But how in the world? Like, what? This is an ancient technique. How in the what? How did they figure that out? Do you I think? I'm so thankful they did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it had to be intuition. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Right. 
Yeah. And so you're using a specific herbs uh, actually in the cupping. Mm. Are those the same herbs you're sending a patient home with? Okay, in the Maxa Bastion, no, no. Um, the Ultra Pure Maxa that I purchased, it's very, very expensive. It's $100 for just a very, very small amount. There's no fluoride in it. No, I want to use the best. I'm totally off <laughs> off topic, but I'm I'm into this. Everything is now everything is now tainted with fluoride because fluoride's in all the water. So all your teas, all your herbs, everything. It's hard to find pure anything. No, and it's a toxin. It is very much a toxin. Our body doesn't need it. Mm. Yeah, we studied that. My dentist still doesn't believe me. <laughs> oh, my dentist knows. I send oh, Harvard Harvard double blind studies. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. They used it in Auschwitz, I think, in the Mm. in the concentration in some of the concentration camps. They used fluoride. Mm. Isn't that scary? And we Mm. put it in our water. Anyway, I really believe all the things that we've done, we've done out of a thought that it actually would benefit. I I don't Mm -hmm. think there's such a dark force. Well, I'm sure they really believe that fluoride in the water was there goes the train (laughs) was going to help. Um, You know, I don't I don't think they. They thought they were calcifying everybody's pineal glands and slowly turning everybody into no, chemi- and chemical. That, yeah, and that's what zombies. I zombies. <laughs> that's what I noticed having um, relatives in the medical field where they thought this drug was the best thing, and then oh my god, no, it causes birth defects, you know. Yeah. And so I've learned as a child to always keep an open mind because we never know, you know. And so that's why I. I put a lot of confidence in the 5,000-year-old medicine with longitudinal research that's tried and true. I mean, they were doing longitudinal studies when they weren't studies. I mean, they were observing. They were putting little pieces of bone or little pieces of metal on acupuncture points and seeing how it affected the body over time. And they came up with this amazingly complex system. It's a lifetime of study. I study every week. I study every day this medicine, and I love it. Uh, so so complex so I thought I did entertain being a western doctor and and I decided that my personality is more suited for eastern and and I I really like to rely on the 5,000 year old wisdom I really you've got both though because you're you've got the perfectionism which is very western yeah, You've got true. the demand for scientific ev- evidence, which is very Western. That's true. And yeah. I think it's just your openness and your, your strength and intuitiveness that makes you uh, very Eastern. So back to the herbs. How, how do you get p- good herbs? How do you get pure stuff? Um, the herbs from Japan are um, of the highest quality. and They're um, not fluoridating their water. no. No, they they treat they have rigorous standards for their herbs and impurity, and um, the the places where I buy my herbs, there's outside um, people coming in and looking at how they're operating, and they give them a um, what do you call Some it? Sort of certification, standardization. Yeah, they yeah. give them an audit and uh, give purity standards for their herbs and. Um, the herbs that I use are very pure, and I, I do trust products from Japan. I just want to interject real quick before I forget. If anybody has any questions or complaints or concerns or you're just bored and you want to communicate with us, we'd love it. You can email us at feedback at com. I'm Lisa Thorpe. 
<laughs> so Thorpe Institute is one of my companies. You can reach us, and uh, we, we love your feedback at feedback at thorpeinstitute.com. And Michaela, what else uh, do you want to share with everybody before we wrap up? Oh, well, the cupping, people come to me for cupping and what that does what you do in cupping is um you get octopus hickeys on your back <laughs> yay <laughs> i've never heard it put that way octopus hickeys so you don't want to do it right before you're going to an event where you need to wear an evening Backless gown dress, right? <laughs> or you don't want to do it right before you're going surfing or in the sun right yeah or in the cold so you have to come for cupping at a time where it's okay for people to see those octopus hickeys and, and where you won't be exposed to the elements too. What it is is you take a glass cup and you put an alcohol-saturated cotton ball inside the cup. Well, you set the cotton ball on fire inside the cup and then you place it on the person's um, skin and it creates a vacuum and it helps with blood circulation and, and people say it helps uh, pull out toxins. And what I find it very useful for is when people have back pain or any type of um, phlegm in the lungs that's just not leaving. I have a lot of success with that. I put it in the middle of the scapula um, and go down the... I do a front and back treatment when I work with people. The back um, points are very nurturing and help really build up the strength of the body. So for me, it's essential to always do a back treatment on my patients, and I'll slide the cups down all the back points to help all the organ systems and to help the muscles relax. And I get even better results when I add the cupping. Insurance doesn't reimburse for cupping. I don't think they There's, quite understand Well, I, insurance doesn't understand detoxification yet. There's really the, – the functional medicine is really, I think, leading the way for, for Western medicine on the, the importance of detoxification. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Eastern medicine has gotten it for a while that uh, we have to help the body remove toxin or eliminate toxins and especially nowadays right mm-hmm. it's an even more it's a bigger issue <laughs> i think for most people the cupping and the the moxibustion are well maybe maybe the needles too but they're just things that they're afraid to go in for because they think it's going to hurt or they think it's going to burn or it's just weird but mm-hmm. hopefully just hearing about the process because i do think you know it, it, not knowing is always the the scariest part, but if you understand, then it's not scary. Exactly. Yeah. In my mid thirties, I started to get knee pain and I, um, burned some moxa on my knee and it hasn't hurt since. There you go. So pulled it out. Yeah. So it's been like 13 years later, no knee pain. And when my patients start to hurt, I burn the moxa on and patient in his seventies, he hasn't had any knee pain since I did it just once. There's no guarantees, but everyone heals differently. So people start to ask for things. Like, aren't you going to do the cupping? <laughs> Can I have the cupping, please? <laughs> Are you going to do like some it. exhibition? Can I- <laughs> and you said something else that I think is really important, which is it, it's not just about not showing the spots on the back from the cupping. Uh, when when you're in a healing phase, and, and I talk with people that come to us about this, when you have something that's saying, it needs healing. You need to take time to heal. Right? You do, yeah. If you're, you can't like go in for a therapy and then go out the next night and work all weekend and think, oh, it didn't work, or I'm not, I'm not getting better. When your body is saying something's up, 
Mm-hmm. Take time to heal. I, I always say that. Take yeah. take time to heal, or the healing is going to take time. Uh, it's just not. Mm-hmm. It's not going to heal um, mm-hmm. if you don't take the time to heal. And sometimes we get really sick, so we can take time. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the elements also get us sick. Like I noticed an increase of people in the clinic when it's really hot and there's heat in their lungs. Or after the fires, people coming in, there's heat in their lungs. It's very real. Oh, so the you, smoke. You do the points to help nurture the lungs and help let the heat out. Help, and, and I would imagine it works. even the, the fear of something like that going on builds up in the system. Yeah, one thing I like about Chinese medicine is that they don't separate psychological health, health, spiritual health with physiological or or physical health. It's all the points are the same. The points treat spiritual, mental, and physical. They're not separated. They all work together. And I think, you know, if if for people that don't believe in a spiritual existence, I think we can all agree that, that energy is real. Mm-hmm. That everything is energy, and that that's you have true. a positive or a negative energy. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I, I, yeah, you know, bridge the gap between spiritual and non-spiritual. And there's physiological processes that happen, right? So, I love everything that you're doing. I think people are very fortunate uh, to to come to you if they have an opportunity because you've Thank got you. such a huge, huge toolbox. And uh, you're over in Poway. How far? Mm-hmm. We're in Encinitas. Mm-hmm. How far? How far are you? Um, I think it took me twenty minutes to get here. It's pretty close. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, on a weekend it can take me twenty minutes to get here. But uh, during rush hour, that's something else that depends right. on the traffic. <laughs> I know we're getting. I call it LA trick trickle down. Yeah, We've got like LA traffic here now because <laughs> everybody wants to live here. It's so beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I love this part of town. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Michaela, it has been such a pleasure and an honor having you here. Thank you. Just a wealth of knowledge. And I hope we have an opportunity to talk again on the show. And is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? No, just thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me here. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you very much. It's all good. We're having having a good time doing it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Lisa Thorpe. With health and wellness and Sinitas, check us out. Have a great day.